Hi, I'm Matt Kierkegaard, and welcome to another in our special editions of Radio Brews News recorded live at the recent BrewCon 19. Thanks to Bintani, we were able to take Radio Brews News to BrewCon and capture a little of what was on offer to those who are lucky enough to get to Australian Craft Brewing's annual conference and trade show. In this episode, we chat with Ruth Leary from Fermentis. Ruth holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Food Science from Otago University and also an IBD diploma in brewing. Ruth studied fermentation science as a postgrad and fell in love with beer when she started at Lion Breweries New Zealand in 2002, first in the technical team and then as a yeast propagator. She is now the regional sales manager for Fermentis. We chat about her career starting at Lion in 2002 and her experiences in the beer industry, joining a very male-dominated business in the early 2000s. Then we take a look at yeast and learn a little about what's happening in yeast development in a hazy beer world. This interview was recorded towards the end of BrewCon, and as you'll hear, Ruth's voice was barely holding on. But despite that, it's a fun conversation, and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Ruth Leary, welcome to uh, Radio Brews News. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. And particularly thank you for joining us at BrewCon uh, 2019. And uh, you've just given a presentation. Now I'm going to read out the official card description and uh, (laughs) you're going to make it a lot more interesting. (laughs) Yeast protein fraction to create stable haze in beer. Uh, (laughs) But before we get into that riveting conversation... One of the questions we do love to ask our guests, particularly when they're not uh, necessarily household names, but who is Ruth Leary? Who is Ruth Leary? <laughs> Apart from a very husky uh, yes. Brucon voice. I'm a, I'm a Kiwi, but you know, maybe the huskiness is helping, fortunately, mask the Kiwi accent for listeners, so that's great. Um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a girl, <laughs> lady, no, girl. Um, I'm a Kiwi and I love beer, but I'd, I'd probably would say I didn't love beer until I was about 20, 21 and had a professor at university who was a Belgian beer guru um, and he took food science papers and also fermentation science papers which included tasting Belgian beer. But what were you studying to, to, so, to have that because I was doing arts and we yep. didn't have anyone bring Belgian beer for us to taste. See so. that's your problem arts. <laughs> so I was studying food science and then in the fourth year postgrad year there's a fermentation science paper and what better medium than beer and yeast to study fermentation. So so the whole year was um, yeast and fermentation because yeast is quite an interesting little living beast um, and does a lot of interesting things. So, And to highlight the point of the lectures, often we would, we would have sensory sessions once a week. Um, and actually the highlight of the whole year probably was we all got to go and brew at a well-known brewery in New Zealand in Dunedin called Emerson's um, with Richard Emerson. So we got to make a beer and drink it straight out of the maturation vessel. <laughs> Probably the best Friday as a student <laughs> I ever had. <laughs> but w- when you went into food science, what was the thinking? What was the career? You know, were you going to be sort of doing flavours or you know, mm. food flavours or things like that? And, and what led you to, to go from that projected career yep. into brewing? Yeah, good good question. Um, I was lucky. I actually, I was always a bit of a geek, um, believe it or not, at school, quite a nerd, and I loved food, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and everyone's like, well, you should be a doctor, or you should do this, and I wasn't sure, and then um, I had an uncle who said to me, why don't you come and talk to our food scientist at work, and I'm like, you're what? Food scientist? I was like, wow, so I actually did. I went and talked to this lady, and then... Um, 
I thought, oh my God, someone's created the perfect career for me. So that was before I went to university. So I already thought, wow, this is awesome. Food science. I'd also studied nutrition. Um, but at post-grad, I sort of majored in new product development within food science. And then I studied flavor science as well as fermentation science at post-grad. Um, and both of those topics I found really interesting. And then... Um, and then my first step into the brewing career was actually I got a job offer from Lion. Um, so I was working down in Dunedin um, and I was sort of waiting actually to start a, a master's thesis scholarship with Fonterra in a little town called Hawara in the North Island of New Zealand <laughs> studying mozzarella cheese and the, and the texture of it. So um, just before, what year is this? So oh, I don't wait, want you to give away your age or anything like that. So probably, you know... <laughs> the turn of the century around there, so Early about two thousand and one. Okay, yeah. So and so, so you're working with uh, Fonterra, which are obviously very famous for cheese. Because yes. when I hear food science, I yep. think of Deary. cheese stick. <laughs> well, no, but, but like but because you know things like um, plastic wrap cheese slices or cheese yep. sticks or um, mature cheddar that is like three weeks old, but <laughs> they are and, and not not a criticism, but they are. The, the the high art of food science yep. is understanding the enzymatic reaction that's going on in cheese, expediting that so yep. you can have a something that approximates a, a, a matured cheese, but that is $9 a kilo. Yeah. And, and to be fair, the topic I was studying that I was supposed to study for my master's thesis for Fonterra was about how to retain water. <laughs> <laughs> the, the mozzarella cheese. Oh, in the cheese. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's quite funny. Um, but I didn't end up doing that because I got a job offer from Lion at their brewery at Kyber Pass in Auckland um, to come on board as a graduate, working in the technical team and the brewing team. Um, actually, the brewing manager is here at BrewCon, Malcolm Breyer, who was brewing manager at the time. Um, and I ended up, after a few months, doing the yeast propagation, which, ah, which I, I was really interesting. I thought you were going to say you got a job with Lyme because they know a thing or two about water. <laughs> Sorry. No. I um, <laughs> oh, just smacked that one down. Sorry. I can't just, say no. It's, it's BrewCon. I had to get a little bit of a cheap shot Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. No, well, sorry. We do have a lot of commercial uh, brewers and they know that I have full respect for, for what they do and I just, it was a cheap yeah. shot. Yeah. Well, no, it was a good um, it was a good introduction to yeast. You know, funnily now I'm at Fermentus, and we um, we sell dry yeast. <laughs> so I know how hard it is to propagate yeast and to keep various yeast strains healthy in a brewery. To send yeast around the country, which is what we were doing at that stage, um, and trying to make sure you had viable and vital yeast cells arriving down to Dunedin or Christchurch or Nelson. Um, in, in a healthy state, so it's quite a challenge actually. So it's actually a learning that's become quite useful uh, for my role at Fermentus. Yeah. So what year did you start working at Lime? It would have been 2002 maybe. Okay, so it was, it was very early on. Because yeah, it was my first real job. <laughs> mm. oh, okay, because yeah. it's, it's something that we, we, we're very, very aware of inclusion in, in, in the brewing industry and looking at making sure that everyone feels welcome. But 2002, that just wasn't, wouldn't have been on anyone's radar, I'd imagine. So, um, and, and I do feel a little bit uncomfortable, um, sort of being a bloke asking, what was it like <laughs> being a woman in, in, in the industry? Because just yeah. that very question sounds like it's inherently patronising that, yep. that there was some reason why you couldn't do it. But obviously, you could. But it is, yeah. I mean, it, certainly, you were a bit of a minority. That's a fact. Um, 
but there was some other great women um, working at Lion at the time. In, in, in science? Not because many. I guess yeah. being in the brewing industry in a science background, you know, so STEM is an issue that is a real mm. target for, for, for young women. So it would have been a minority in a minority, I would imagine. A little bit. Yeah, that's right. Um, there was a couple of females sort of in the new product development part of the brewing, a couple of technical brewers that were women. I think Lion actually is, particularly Lion in New Zealand, is quite well-respected, has been quite progressive. Um, but definitely dominant. The brewers, particularly the operators actually doing the real work in the brewery, they were all blokes. <laughs> the guy who trained me in my role was a bloke and we used to get a lot of a lot of shit, a lot of stick <laughs> about going off to propagate yeast and a lot of innuendo and joke and I just used to brush it off um, and... But was that something that you, well, but you, like, you just had to brush it off because it yes. was, that was one of the things that was just accepted and you had to harden up as opposed to them have to change their behaviour? Yeah, it was definitely about me hardening up and brushing it off and being one of the boys rather than being able to say, mate, don't say that, you know? Yep. It wasn't, yeah, I was, I was also young and immature. I was in my early 20s. I was trying to fit in to this very male-dominated environment. Um, but look, the guys, they had fun with me. I had fun with them. I really enjoyed it. But definitely there was a lot of um, joking. Some of it, looking back, might have been a bit inappropriate. But, you know, I'd, it was fun. But has that changed? Like, Has that element of it changed where workplaces are a little bit more aware that it's not fun? Like, I and, think so, yeah. I mean, I, I, Absolutely. I, I, I tell the story quite often when, when we talk about these issues that, you know, sort of going to school in the 80s, if you didn't play rugby, you were pufter. And yep. that was the teachers telling you that. Um, I played rugby. I'm I, from <laughs> South Island of New Zealand, I know. That was the sport I played. Huh? <laughs> but, but, you know, teachers would never, like, you would never use that term. You would never deride no. anybody. And so there has been a cultural shift over, you know, a 30-year yeah. period. Have you seen that in in the brewing industry start to evolve where uh, people who are entering it don't have to grin and bear that sort of behaviour and just sort of tough, toughen up? I, I think so. I really think so. Um, I mean, and there's great organisations like Pink Boots who are very supportive of women in the industry, but I think even Pink Boots aside, I think, um, and I'm sure every brewery is different, but when you enter a brewery, I feel like people do listen to you. I'm a female trying to talk to them about brewing and yeast, um, and I feel people actually do respect and do listen so I feel uh, yeah it's not such a joke it's there's less innuendo and joking and um patronizing of women I think it's I think you looked at as, a, as an equal now and I think it's I don't know if it's a sign of you know what great people we have in the industry in Australia and New Zealand or yeah but it's certainly quite progressive I think and, and certainly compared to some other cultures um I find it a little different. For example, I go and visit Japan quite a lot and talk to breweries there and, or talk to managers there. And, you know, I think 1% of managers in Japan are female. So mm. it's quite a different environment up there. But in Australia and New Zealand, I think being a woman, it's not a, it's not a drawback anymore. And, and, and I didn't want to dwell on that at all, but 17 years ago it was very different yes. um, than, than, than it is now. So you're working with Lion, working in the, the, the lab, Yep. Uh, yeast propagation, mm -hmm. um, understanding all of that. Um, how long did you stay with Lion? And what was the career progression through there? Yeah, so it, it was funny. I was really into, because um, my major within food science was new product development, and I was really interested in creating new things and flavours. And at that stage, um, there wasn't much opportunity to move into new product development in the team in Auckland. Um, and I, I may have had to move to Sydney 
um, and I wasn't ready to at that time. So I ended up actually, after a couple of years, um, I did my brewing diploma exams when I was at Lion. That was really good, and they supported me through that. I actually ended up working for a supplier to Lion, um, a company called Invita, who supply a lot of ingredients um, into different food and beverage industries, but particularly into the brewing industry. And actually, they're they're here with a stand at BrewCon, so it's nice to see some of my old colleagues. Um, and, and so Lion became a customer, and I ended up still working with my same old colleagues, and it actually was a really nice relationship. Um, and I'd go in and I'd run optimization trials on different ingredients, um, and then could find my way around the brewery and not get lost, which was quite nice. Um, so, so that's what I did next, and I actually was, I've been in the ingredient supply industry, I think, ever since, and moved from quite technical roles um, doing applications management and technical lab work into more commercial roles as I've, as I've progressed through my career. So more into the technical sales um, part of it, yeah, and the flavour industry as well. So it's been a big part. So, so talk about the flavour industry. Yeah, so I've worked um, for a couple of flavour companies as a distributor, um, but a lot of the, so I've been based in New Zealand most of my career, and a lot of the big, you know, European flavour houses don't have necessarily a very big direct presence themselves, so they appoint a distributor, so I um, worked with Firminish and then worked with a company called Wild, or Wild, if you're a Kiwi, <laughs> the Germans say Wild, um, who who do flavouring. So you're working along, you know, it's actually quite similar to now working in yeast because you're talking about flavour so much and different impacts of recipes on flavours and, and a lot of the terms and the sensory terms you're using are very similar. So, and the flavour descriptors, there's a lot of crossover actually, it's... I found it quite good, but um, flavour industry is great. It's it's like brewing; it's an art and a science. And um, I think flavourists are some of the most interesting people in the world. They know thousands of compounds and how they smell and taste, how they interact off the top of their head. Um, but yeah. it's it, it's an art and a science. But the better you understand the science, the more easily you can make the art. Is oh, yeah. the way I like to think of it. It's extremely hard to be a flavourist. I think it takes many many years of training after you've after you've got your degree. And then you're in a flavour house, you get accepted into a program, you have to meet certain criteria. And then many, I think like seven years of training, you might be a junior flavourist then. And yep. then by the time you're a senior flavourist, you're on the mega bucks and there's not many of them in the world actually. It's like the noses at a, um, at a fragrance house, which often the big flavour houses are also big fragrance houses. It's same ingredients and technology really. Okay. Yeah. So now you're working for Fermentus and yes. uh, back in yeast. So back so, in yeast, I know, full circle. <laughs> so talk, talk to us a little bit about the craft beer industry really kicked off with the, the effusive uh, characters of modern hop varieties and uh, mm-hmm. yes, some of the American hops and the New Zealand hops and more recently the Australian hops. Um, but as the industry's matured and they've looked for, for things, we've seen um, you know, yeast... In, in a variety of different formats become very, very important, both yeah. as a as a character itself, whether you're making a, a Belgian-style beer or a, like a, um, a German wit beer, mixed ferment beer. But then, I, I guess more recently, we've become very, very conscious of the interaction that yeast has with the other ingredients. So not just a flavour effect itself, but which I think brings us a little bit to the yeast protein fraction to create sustainable <laughs> haze in beer. So maybe you want to sort of talk a little bit about the evolution of our appreciation of yeast characters in beer. Yeah, and I think yeast, so, you know, malts have had their time and definitely hops are and still having their time um, as, as a very interesting um, and very important component of a craft beer. 
but yeast also has a big part to play and people forget, you know, brewers make wort, the yeast makes the beer. So <laughs> it's a little phrase I like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeast does all their work. It's a, you know, what other organism um, replicates itself? <laughs> um, and they're very efficient um, and, and can lend a lot of character to beer. So, you know, that was part of my talk today. I talked about a new um, yeast fraction that imparts a very stable haze over time. So explain what a yeast fraction is for, mm. for people who know that you sort of smack a packet of uh, yeast, throw it in your beer yep. and it, it ferments. What, what's yes. a yeast fraction? So this is quite different. So this is actually, so the parent company of Fermentus um, is La Suff, a French-based, actually the biggest um, yeast company in the world, um, and very strong in not just yeast for fermentation, but derivatives of yeast as well. So this ingredient I talked about today, um, it's called Spring Blanche, and it's a, a brand new product for beer and it's a derivative of yeast it's not an active yeast that ferments anything it's not going to turn your wort into beer it's an ingredient you add actually after fermentation um, and it's very rich in specific type of proteins proline rich proteins that are known to bind with polyphenols that are naturally in your beer to form a stable haze so it's essentially a cosmetic for beer is, is that yeah, very natural cosmetic. You know, it's, it's no, no, yeast, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent from yeast. Um, but yes, it's it's kind of a cure for um, you know a lot of hazy ingredients settle over time. So you might have a very yeasty nipa with a lot of hop matter still in there as well, but or a lot of oats. It'll still settle out over time, and people are rolling kegs and doing yep. different things to try and keep all of that haze in suspension. But actually, the spring launch will will stay consistently um, in suspension, so give you a really good visual, and it's not going to form a big sludge at the bottom. This is probably a competing product, but there's a product that's been around for a while, BioCloud. Is yep. it that style of? Yeah, so that was probably an earlier. Um, Attempt at doing a product like um, the the Spring Blanche. Um, I think the important thing with the newer, so with the Spring Blanche, for example, it's got a very small particle size. It's also very neutral in taste. You can't taste it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't add any um, negative, autolyzed yeast taste. So yep. Vegemite or chicken or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then very small. <laughs> Craft brewers love flavors like that. <laughs> well, people are putting donuts on their beers anyway. Chicken. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there is a cocktail. Oh, um, yeah. Actually, I have seen a turkey gravy beer one time. Um, <laughs> so, no, but um, if, you're, if you've got a very nice, clean, hoppy beer, yep. you, you probably don't want those characters. So it's about clean taste. It's about understanding the, 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 little, the molecules themselves and getting the right shape and the right size so it stays in suspension over time and forms that really good, um, strong, stable interaction with the polyphenols in your beer. So it's a really interesting stage that we're at because when even before craft beer was called craft beer, one of the things that craft beer uh, gave, gave rise to the name craft beer was we're small, traditional, we're independent. Um, basically, we're the three, and the, the, the traditional element was we don't use things like enzymes to break down the sugar. And suddenly, brewed IPAs come about, and yeah. um, you know, gee. Haze, we want haze in our beer, and the, the initial hazy beers were the haze was a byproduct of the process that they yes. used. The haze became the thing of itself as yes. people wanted to do it, but then a lot of the beers were not shelf stable, they, they yep. were very variable. Um, and so it sounds like these sorts of products are about having that aesthetically pleasing um, yep. beer but then also having the characteristics of being saleable because it's 
it, it, it yeah. has a shelf stability. It's a bit of a problem solver for some brewers see it where they, um, you know, there's been complaints from the trade of sludge in the bottom of a can or having to tell people to roll a keg and those kind of things. So it does solve some of those problems. Um, and look, you know, a brewer, they don't have to change their recipe. They can still add their flaked oats and their things into a neeper, for example, but it's just going to stabilise and still remain in suspension three months later. Is, you know? is, it, is that a pragmatic reality um, of, of the market or is that a move away from craft? Um, it's a good question. Look, it's 100% from yeast. Um, it's not a separate ingredient you need to call out um, on anything. So I think it answers a need for some breweries, certainly probably industrial scale as well. If you're making um, Hefeweizen and exporting it across the world, it's probably a really nice solution yep. for those sort of companies as well. Um, but you know, you do, you do. I've talked to many brewers this week who, who have had difficulty over time keeping haze in suspension, or, or, or complaints about pumping things into tanks when it's so full of sediment and so much particulate matter in there that, you know, to find a balance between adding, adding an ingredient that's naturally from yeast um, to just enhance that haze without having to have so much heavy. Um, Particulates in there that are hard to pump and hard to move, and consumers want haze, and, 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 and they want haze, yeah. And whether they want the flavour or not, they, they they want haze, and that's and that, that's a trend, which is, I guess, you know, consumers wanted something purer ten years ago. Yeah, that everything contributed to the to the end result. Oh, it's quite funny because I mean, the start of my career was all about having no haze and how to <laughs> remove haze and get rid of those proteins and polyphenols, and now it's. Hazy, hazy. That's quite funny. <laughs> and then, then brands like uh, Coopers, which always said roll the bottle, um, you know, it was a big part of its marketing when every mm-hmm. other beer in the country was a uh, pale lager. They made a, an asset a story, of rolling yeah. it. Um, but then I understand that um, So Coopers Sparkling is still very much a roll it, whereas Coopers Pale does use things like BioCloud to sort of accentuate that. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and they're still regarded as the original craft brewery. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's, I mean, and, and craft... Um, and like the orange juice industry also learns lessons from from craft and vice versa where you know yes this is a natural product you'll see sediment in the bottom and you're still going to get sediment in a nipa even if you add our ingredient you're still going to get it but you'll I still thought you were going to tell me that the, 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 the pulp in orange juice wasn't real and there was a product that you can sort of use to it <laughs> no but you know you, you'll see natural sediment at the bottom just invert yep. the bottle yeah, and, yeah. and that's kind of a selling point for being natural and in a consumer's eyes sometimes but there is a pointy end consumer that knows that and and buys into it it's just when, when organics first um became a thing you had to accept that your bananas were going to be a little bit blemished yeah, that's um right. but then once organic starts to mainstream as you presume that a lot of people want it to the, the mainstream market wants doesn't want to have to educate itself and wants you know they, they still want visually appealing bananas without blemishes it's to, a good analogy i like it <laughs> it's yours <laughs> it's a good analogy yeah yeah that's true you're very right but and, and, and are we seeing that in other elements of the uh, the, the the approach to, to yeast in in brewing? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of the work where fermenters are doing now is on that yeast hop interaction, which was sort of the second part of the talk I did this afternoon. Um, I specifically spoke on one of the studies we've done um, where we made you know New England IPA. It's a very popular style, um, and, and fermenters doesn't take the position of making a yeast for one type of beer. We like to give a bit of creativity to the brewers and give them choices. But what we did is we made a Nipah recipe, a reference recipe, a very typical, highly hopped, a lot of very late dry hop. Um, and we tried 
many, many types of yeast, lagers, ales, um, diastaticus, pof positive yeasts, everything, um, and just to see what happened. And we did a lot of sensory on that. We've got 40 panellists um, who are highly trained on finding juicy character in a NEPA. Um, and we also did analytical as well. So we actually measured all the hop compounds that were solubilised in the beer at the end of the process as well. And it's, it's incredible to see what, and actually our own team, our own technical team were blown away by just by changing the yeast, what can happen to your beer. What, what sort of things happened? So, I mean, we had very statistically significant differences in the flavour of the beer. Um, also the turbidity, the visual impression of the beer. Obviously you get different attenuations, so some were drier than others. That's just the nature of the different style of yeast. And, and what drives that flavour? Is is the yeast putting out uh, esters and yes. different compounds or is it it's bringing out different characters in the hop, char- in, in, in the hop uh, oils? It's actually both. So one part of it, um, some of our yeasts more so than others, create a lot of fermentative flavours so they're um, creating a lot of fruity esters during the fermentation and actually some some more of our studies um, on Brut IPA and Cascade hops in particular we've seen a lot of um, we've seen a lot of evidence that those fruity fermentation flavours then go on to further enhance the fruity hop flavours so it sort of combines together. But was, there's all, was Tom Shellhammer involved in that research as well because I know that there's been some re- he's a focus on the hop side of it and not the yeast side of it. But I was wondering if there was any collaboration because he was saying some similar things when he was out. Oh, interesting. Oh, there, there we go. So okay. um, I've definitely heard of Tom, um, but no, he I don't know. He hasn't been specifically involved in that research. We do all of our research externally, by the way. Okay. Um, so with institutes and universities. Yep. Um, so I, I, and I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry, you. you mm, no. You're, that's fine. Um, so you're talking about some of the um, the the, the, the flavours that uh, um, yeast was bringing out in yeah. the Yeah, so the, there's the two angles. Yeah, that's right. And but there's also the you know people talk a lot about biotransformation. We talk about yeast and hop interaction because there's still so much to learn. But yes, definitely some yeasts are doing something that direct contact with a lot of hops and yeast. It's actually relatively recent history. You know, yeast has been fermenting beer for centuries, but it's only quite recent that there's been a ton of hops in direct contact with yeast during fermentation. You know, people adding them in the whirlpool or day two, day one, day three, day four during fermentation. So what's actually happening there? So, and that's what we see, um, you know, in our NEPA study, we saw huge differences in the actual hop character itself the hop fruity, the hop citric, the hop tropical, and certain yeasts would enhance the notes. So they're obviously doing doing some magic with some of those compounds in the hops um, and transforming and creating the ar- aromatic volatiles that give that sensory perception to the end co- consumer. In a lot of ways, it sounds like we're behind the wine industry because... 100%. Yeah. Um, when, when beer was lager and we were looking at some of the very limited, very narrow focus to beer characters um, and it was shelf stability and things like that and it wasn't necessarily flavour forward um, when it, it, it sounds like we're now starting to divert um, attention into yeast and hop interaction and looking at what malt um, brings to a beer and much more and, and having a much 
better scientific understanding of what's going on in the brewing vessels and the the, the packaging. Is, is that a fair yeah, assessment? I think so, and I think it's going to go even further than where wine is because with beer you've got more variables. You know, they're just fermenting grape juice usually, right? Spoiling grapes, I like <laughs> Spoiling grapes. Um, so, you know, with, with beer we've got more things to interact. It's more interesting. And, you know, we're just at the tip of the iceberg, I think. Um, but certainly, you know, I talk, you know, obviously a company, we make wine for um, yeast for wine. <laughs> we do make wine too. Um, but, no, we make um, yeast for wine. And there's been a very long history of talking about interactions and transformations and thiols and terpenes and, and you know, what the yeast does to transform into new molecules and creating certain aromas. Um, and, and we're now talking about that with beer. We've just started, really, if you look at the whole scheme of history. Um, so I just think it's going to go more and more down that track and it's super interesting and I kind of can't wait to see what's next really but we're learning a lot from our wine colleagues definitely um, for yeast for fermentation but also in wine they use a lot of these uh, yeast derivatives like the spring blanche I talked about Mm -hmm. for haze Um, very common in wine because it has to be obviously all natural as well to apply to all these the applicable yeah, um, sulfides in it. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but they use a lot of yeast derivatives to enhance colour and flavour, and you know some components of of a yeast cell are very rich in antioxidants, for example. So we're learning a lot from our colleagues in wine. We're applying it now to beer and seeing what we can do and what we can learn. And it's I can't wait. It's exciting. It sounds like you're talking about job security. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Sounds like there's a lot for you to work on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Um, It's it's crazy the amount of data that's getting spat out now by the sensory panel at Fermentas. We have 40 people who are trained and the the lady who runs it, she's an amazing Brazilian brewer, Gabby, um, highly technical lady um, in sensory, beer sensory, and she's a beer judge very well known and the amount of data she's getting, she can't. She's. It's very hard for her to actually compile it all together because there's so much happening now on this yeast and hop interaction. So, um, and we've got like better capability now to run all these very um, lots of concurrent fermentations at the same time and and do all these trials. So lots is coming out. I think we're going to see lots more um, more discussion coming from fermenters on yeast and hop interaction in the next couple of years. So brewers who want to find out a little bit more about this, like, are you a um, consultant? Like, do, do As part of your role, do you speak directly with brewers and work with them on troubleshooting some of these yeah, things? Yeah, absolutely. I've certainly given my card to a few brewers this week. Look, we support, um, we have Ventani as our distributor here in Australia, um, and they're great and they know the fermenters' products really well. But we support them um, we sort of pass on directly and do trainings with Bintani on all the new information. But we love to talk directly with brewers too, so we'll often go alongside with the crew from Bintani um, and, and talk about our products and help brewers try and create the beers that they want to make. Ruth Leary, uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, for the, this conversation at BrewCon uh, 2019. Hopefully we'll get to have a beer with you uh, later tonight at the Indies. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, and apologies again about the voice. <laughs> And that was Ruth Leary. Our coverage of BrewCon 19 was made possible by Bintani, who were not only providing brewers with the finest ingredients, they gave us the opportunity to bring you the finest guests live. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. 
You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. Thank you.